Hello, and welcome to the Strength to be Human podcast with your host, author and playwright Mark Anthony Rossi. This show explores all forms of creativity for those searching for meaning and a place in the world. To err is human, but so is to love. Now, without further ado, here's your host. Hi, folks, and welcome back to Strength to Be Human. This is your host, author, playwright, Mark Anthony Rossi, and this will be episode 108. It's another in our classic spotlight series, this one on thoughts on Jack London. So I'm a little late here, folks. I had a sick child, and sometimes that throw you off on the schedule. After dealing with that, yeah, last thing I want to do is record anything. <laughs> so I'm glad he's on the mend, and I can get on to what I like to do as well. So thank you very much for your for your patience on that. Now, Jack London, definitely one of the... Um, I would say uh, the biggest names in writing in terms of people that who maybe don't follow literature or even do lots of reading in books, they remember. They remember him from school because he is one of those writers you hear a lot about in school. Uh, he wrote a, a great deal about the outdoors, um, especially in, in, in the frozen tundras of, of the Yukon and up in Canada. Okay, and... Uh, Call of the Wild, uh, probably one of the most famous books of all time. I think it's been uh, translated in over a hundred languages. And of course, uh, White Fang, another one of those outdoor books, centering, uh, really essentially uh, the animal, wolves. And I always find I always find that the story is amazing, especially when we learn a little bit more about his life, where he was coming from, what he was trying to do. He just wasn't one of those armchair adventurers. He was out there, you know, doing doing stuff so it's pretty it's pretty darn fascinating now jack london was born john griffin cheney that was that was his biological father's uh, name but it looks like he had no relationship with him he wound up taking london from from the uh, second man that his that his mother had married okay john london and he was born in 1876 which is really something else, because when you think about John London, you, it, it it always seems like his stories and just his voice and writing it, it seems timeless. It doesn't seem like he was a guy from the eighteen hundreds. Because I, I guess when you have a, a sense of an adventure, you know that in a, in a way kind of seems timeless because it's not bound to technology or or science or religion or anything. It's just bound to going out and did a great. You know, outdoors and, and, and putting yourself against Mother Nature, and, and, you know, trying to eke a living and, and, and win a victory and, and do something, in, you know, impressive. And, and that's what he was able to to do. Now, he grew up, I, I would say, probably in the lower middle class. And he was a guy that, that was from, from the streets and he wound up doing a lot of traveling, a lot of wandering around to try to figure out what he wanted to do with his life. And he got up to there in the, the Canadian area of the Yukon and, and did all kinds of odd jobs. Uh, oyster shucking and, you know, um, work on the boats and, you know, digging in ditches and snow plows. And so he had a lot of experience with with workmen and lumber yards and, and, and snow dogs, which, he, you know, he wrote a great deal about. He, he, he understood a lot because he lived in that in that kind of life. That was really what he was doing. And later on, became a, a big a big part of the, of his work and, and a, a real I guess source material for what he was doing. 
which is really wonderful because we we used to laugh with um when uh, actors instead of just acting something they they felt in, in the method acting you know uh, genre that they had to you know they had to go through something first in order to be able to get the, those emotions out authentically to feel like they were living in that in that moment. You know, and I'm, I'm sure there was plenty of writers to do so. I mean, if you think about it, uh, God love uh, Edgar Allan Poe, but it wasn't like he was hanging out in, in expensive balls or, you know, plowing people to death in the, in, in, in the basements or, or talking to cats. And I mean, he was doing any of this straight out of his imagination. He's just writing from a cabin, hungry dude, not much money in his pocket, people dying all around him. So when you're talking about somebody doing something from purely 100% imagination, well, there you go. Edgar Allan Poe and the classic writer doing that. Nothing method about that. It was just, hey, this is, I'm a writer, this is a story, blah, blah, blah. Where Jack London was one of those guys that he was out there doing these things. So when you when you read a lot of that about it, you, you saw that it was authenticity not because he did lots of research. It was because he lived the life to have that research. I mean, he was around those rough and tongue people and you know, bitter 30 degree temperatures and, you know, animals that they eat you if you don't feed them and, you know, you have to use them for transportation and just a lot of, a lot of amazing things in, in, you know, in the rugged frozen wild of, of Canada. And I always find that more fascinating, I think, than, than, than Poe. Don't get me wrong. I love Poe and he's more of a writer of my ilk than Jack London ever was. But I did admire the fact that he did so much of that work, you know, and, and, and took so much from that because it, it kind of makes him, a, you know, kind of a badass. And I, I kind of like that. I, that guy was cool. You know, Poe might have been a genius, but, you know, he wasn't going to win anybody uh, against anybody in a fight. Jacqueline looked like the guy that, that beat the hell out of you and then write about it and, and make a million dollars. And that's another thing. Uh, Jacqueline was very interesting. He was just completely the polar opposite of Poe. In the sense that not only did he live this life that he was writing, uh, but he he became extremely successful in the writing, and both of those books were made him a wealthy man. And he adopted, ironically, being a wealthy man, he adopted socialism as one of his political, you know, theories because he was around a lot of these people. So he wrote he wrote a lot about and even even worked on the political side of, you know, the working class getting better better rights and you know better working conditions and all of that. So he was really a, a big a big part of that that movement for a long time in in his life. He even wrote a, a precursor to the 1984 George Orwell's novel called The Iron Heel. It's not as popular as, as these books here. It was straight a political book, but it was just about you know um, how the the rich people in capitalism can really harm people and control the society. Obviously, he's a bit overboard, but that but. Nevertheless, that was his that was his viewpoint, and that was one of those type of dystopian type of novels that you don't hear as much about. But it, it was uh, it was well known in, in his day, and he was able to get that out to to, to, to the masses to, to read. Now there are some un, un, there are some unusual things about uh, Jack London that I definitely wanted to share with you, uh, beyond just the fact that he seemed to have a real love for. You know, um, outdoors and and uh, an adventure and being around just the working class people because he felt that he was one of those. I mean, he was still like that even when he became wealthy. He was still that kind of guy, a very hard driven man, very much of a, of a workaholic, uh, definitely an alcoholic type of uh, of writer because he was a very heavy drinker. Uh, married a, a couple of times in, in in his life, and 
was I what I found extremely interesting about uh, Jack London was he thought in many instances that people not only needed the freedom to be who they were and 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 the freedom to not be oppressed but be able to make an honest living and and you know in a in a fair wage, you know. But he honestly thought that you know the American government and democracy was was kind of harmful to people that it didn't really favored the average man, which is ironic because he wrote a book and became a millionaire. Um, so don't really get sometimes the, you know, the contradictions in that. And of course, Jack London was full of them. And we'll talk about that as the show goes on, because he's extremely complex in, in many instances. It's just sometimes really hard to pin the guy down. And, you know, we've talked about this before. And I don't do this to dismirch anybody's character, or anybody's motives or intentions or who they are. But when we're talking about a writer, we're going to talk a little bit about their characters, some of their beliefs and all that. It helps us understand as much as possible some of the things they wrote, maybe some of the stands they've taken, a bit of who they are. Now, don't get me wrong, we're never really going to fully understand everybody. I mean, we could probably talk about Edgar Allan Poe all day long about some of the hardships he had to deal with and the tragedies around him, you know, and his upbringing, all that, but... I don't know. Does that really create a depressive person? There's other people who've gone through some horrible things too and, and, and didn't have the bleak outlook they had or, or suddenly had the incredible dark insight he had on human nature and, and, and just the, the universe in general. So there's something special beyond all of that. Maybe that's just the catalyst or the impetus for this to, to go in that direction. Uh, and But you still learn something at least. And that's why I think it's important to talk about. And that's why I called the show, you know, Thoughts About That Author because... It's not going to be some 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 perfect, you know, a picture I'm going to capture. And doesn't mean I'm going to have all the answers over here. But we're going to try to do our best I can to, you know, try to allude to some of these things. And and some of these things should be talked about because I I never liked the idea of just saying, uh, yeah, the guy was cool and, and and explored a lot and did some travel, man, and then he made a lot of money writing books and then he drank a lot. But you know, he was cool for the common man and. You know, he, I, I probably wouldn't mind hanging out with him in the bar. And, you know, I, I don't want to give a Hollywood, you know, thumbnail sketch to these sort of things, okay? It doesn't mean I don't admire some of these folks. And it doesn't mean that I don't have any respect for them. But it does mean that if we're going to have a better understanding of that human being, is, but as much as we can, you know, we, we should be given as many facts as possible. And even if it goes, you know, contrary to who they are, what they write about, even if it, it, it's something that's kind of negative or nasty that's how we understand the human beings we're talking about. Because remember, great writers or not, they're still human, and, and we deserve to have as, as much as we possibly can to get a full scope of, the, of that person, okay? So, like we just mentioned before, uh, here's a man that became a millionaire in the capitalist system uh, saying the capitalist system sucks. I don't know, maybe he was the early Bernie Sanders, because apparently... Bernie Sanders says we suck, and he's making a couple million dollars from his books. But he's a socialist. So, it, it, as you can see, quite confusing. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, no one really questioned this guy, but I do. You have to question those kind of ideas and, and, and thinking. I mean, he did put his money where his mouth was. He did try to fund a lot of organizations to help people, help uh, writers, to help uh, other people with, with, with workers' rights. So, I mean, the guy at least tried to be consistent along that line and it's obviously was something close to his heart so I'll give him some definitely some credit for that 
Of course, he wrote a number of articles about this. Um, London was also a journalist, so he did a lot of nonfiction writing. Um, one of the things he covered was the, was the Russian-Japanese War in the early 1900s. It's a war we don't hear very much about. It's a war where uh, Russia won and wound up confiscating a number of the islands that the Japanese had. And, and still and still have to this day now from Russia. Um, on four separate instances, uh, the Japanese were not happy with him being there and didn't like his reporting. They thought it was after anti-Japanese. And in four separate instances, he was arrested, uh, beaten up in jail. Uh, he called upon friends to get him out. Um, you know, he had he had some friends in the diplomatic corps because at that point, you know, he became... You know, famous with his books, so people knew him. He had money. He had some connections, so that's what he did. Eventually, they kicked him out of that area because they just didn't want him there anymore. So, just like many of the writers back in those days, they they did a lot of uh, adventurous writings about war. You know, we had a couple that did, uh, you know, the uh, the Spanish Civil War over in Spain. You know, and, and sometimes they even joined that side of the Spanish Civil War, the re, the Republican side, which was ultimately. Uh, I'm sorry, the, um, the, the the side that was more uh, socialist communist uh, rather than the, the side that was stated by, by the Franco forces in the, the government of Spain. A lot of writers did, uh, and uh, he was one of those kind of writers that did that. He just did that on the Franco, um, the, uh, the Russian-Japanese uh, War. Ironically, and this is where it can get contradictory, unfortunately, and with the true answers, we're never going to really know, but... Jack London, that was famous back then and certainly famous still now for portraying minority characters, a black boxer, a Mexican person, uh, with dignity and, and with, with class and respect and, and intelligence, which is still not really common back in his day. But ironically, he shared a lot of racist views than people had, especially very anti-Asian ones. The jury's still out. I mean, they did a lot of research on, on the biographies. Everybody has a different opinion whether, you know, whether was he racist privately, but then did he wrote this because it's just a political thing he believed in. It's just very contradictory. Who knows how much politics played into his characters or did he really believe that? Did he believe both? I don't know. It's it's To me, it's painfully complex to figure out a guy that's writing a uh, sensitive, intelligent, uh, dignified uh, black boxer, and, and then, you know, talk racist nonsense. It makes no sense. But it, it gets worse, unfortunately, because uh, Jack London was one of, the, one of the people that believed in eugenics, which was the early uh, belief that um, science can root out people who, who, who are less, less uh, fear, inferior than we are. And he, he definitely believed that people that were born with diseases or handicaps, that they should be killed. They should be put into a place and, and killed. As you know, that's ultimately how the Nazi regime did it. I think it killed over a half a million, you know, handicapped people, even people who were too old, etc. So uh, Jack Lennon was a believer in that. Now, he wasn't a Nazi or a believer in Nazism, uh, but he was a believer in eugenics, unfortunately, and it wasn't an uncommon thing for some people to believe in. He thought, he thought it was a good way to you know, keep society healthier and, and keep society stronger. So it's an ironic uh, thing to believe, again, on a man who wrote about so many interesting, sensitive things, nature and animals and minorities and all kinds of things, and then, you know, to, to have beliefs and even write about some of these things on a nonfiction level. It's, it's beyond disappointing. It really is. So it's just, 
Now, this is this is humanity though, and it shows the complexity uh, of people. So you never really know in the end who you got just through the person's writing. I mean, it helps you to a certain extent, but you're not going to get the full picture. I mean, is it possible the man could be both, you know, racially sensitive and racially <laughs> intolerant at the same time? I honestly don't know. I don't even know if that's a possibility. I really don't. I, I just I don't get it. Do you become that later on after you've wrote all these things, or were you that all the way, all along? I wish I had an answer, but I don't. But nevertheless, this is something that's plagued, you know, his legacy, and people still debate about this to this day uh, about about Jack London. There might be some gray area on the race things, but I mean, there really isn't no area about eugenics. I mean, I know I mean, that's just god awful to to even even support anything like that. It's just incredible. It really is. Now, another fascinating thing about uh, Jack London was, and, and I'm, I'm not certainly not supporting this kind of lifestyle, but he was the. The drinker's drinker <laughs> that, uh, that that drank while he wrote, drank when he was writing, drank when he worked, drank after, uh, just a drinking person all the time. I mean, this is a man that literally had a, a pen in one hand and a cocktail in the other. I mean, and unfortunately, it exasperated the kidney disease that ultimately uh, killed him. Jack London, ironically, just like Poe with the alcohol issues, uh, he wound up dying at the age of 40 from kidney disease. Brought on severely but through through serious alcoholism. So it's amazing. Although he doesn't seem to have the kind of, um, I guess you could say, a social uh, status that Poe had in the sense that there was all these people really upset with him or trying to malign him. It wasn't the same with Jack London. Apparently he was a happy-go-lucky guy. Seemed to have a lot of friends and, and a lot of positive things for folks to say. People seemed to like him and he seemed to be a, a pretty generous person and not 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 as much as a jerk as is is Poe unfortunately wound up becoming, you know, wind up pushing people away where London seemed to be uh pretty much the social network kind of guy. Which really helped him because I can tell you now, lots of people that the Japanese had uh, had com- had uh, imprisoned during the Russian Japanese conflict, a lot of those people got sick and died. I mean, so it's good to have some connections like he did because uh, uh, his fate would have been a long time ago dead, dead in one of those jails. Because they really didn't like him. But it's been told that, you know, he was pretty uh, candid about what he wrote. Regardless if he had anti-Asian review, uh, you know, views or not. Apparently he did uh, do some solid journalism over there. So that's, of, of course, good to know. Now, Jack London was definitely one of those type of classical writers that had the social conscience. So he really did believe and socialism. He thought that if people adopted that, that would make, you know, things better. It would, you know, create unions that would help protect workers. It would make more things equal in society. And of course, folks like this, uh, they always tend to be wealthy when they say these things. They never seem to understand the consequences and the impact of all. And uh, if you ever get a chance to talk to one of these wealthy people who believe in socialism, ask them to give up all, all their money or most of it. See what kind of answer you're going to get. Because you're not going to get a really great answer. You're not going to get some consistent answer. Hey, you know, you're right. I should give this up. Uh, no, that's not going to happen. Kind of hard to buy all those cocktails when you're a broke socialist, you know. But that's one of those kind of guys he was. He did, I guess, the best he, best, best he can with his uh, both his conscience and his consistently through his political ideals. At least he did try to do something, you know, smart and wise and, 
you know, and, and I, I feel honorable with it. So I give him, I give him that, no, no doubt. Now, um, like I was mentioning before, he became extremely widely uh, well known, especially with Call of the Wild. I mean, even in his day, you know, they're already starting to teach that in, in, in colleges. I mean, it became that big of a book that, you know, and I, I really think it helped because, you know, he lived that kind of life. But I think it also helped, too, because remember, this is the days before, you know, TV and radio really got huge. So that book really, really stirred people's imaginations. It was almost like a movie in its, you know, in its own right, the way it was written in that whole big panoramic kind of way. He wrote in that kind of big scope, and I really think that made people, you know, excited with the reading, kind of brought their, their, the adventure to the doorstep, you know, versus having to, you know, go out there. And I, I think that really, that really helped him a, a, a great deal. And... He was also fortunate to have a publisher that really uh, published uh, and promoted the heck out of it. You know, he was with Macmillan at the time, and they just they promoted the hell out of it, and it really did uh, incredible for him. It really was something else, and it's hard not to uh, be uh, impressed with what he was able to do under the under the circumstances. Um, he created something ironically called the, the Bohemian Club. And that that became a, a pretty famous on just people who got together socially, mostly well-known people, a lot of Hollywood people to get to get together and you know trade all kinds of uh, artistic ideas. And you know he he like I said he was much a uh, much more of a social person than a lot of writers are. A lot of writers tend to be more internal type people, tend to be more withdrawn, more introverted, not out there you know slapping backs and you know glad handing. He was just one of those that were. Most of them weren't. You know, maybe drinking helped him a bit to do that as well, because apparently that worked out really well for him on the on the whole party circuit. But I never got any 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 jest from reading uh, anything about his um, his early years and his, you know, in his more humble background that he was one of the shy kids. He he seemed to be somebody that was just always uh, outgoing and gregarious and always, you know. But he was one of those people that he could be the jock that could beat you up. And be you know popular with the girls, but you know because he's a he's a swell looking fellow, so I'm sure he didn't have any problem with that in the end of things. But also, you know, he was that bookworm kind of guy too. So he was both, and it made him definitely uh, more complex than the average person. But gave him a lot more tools in his belt than than a lot of writers who tend to be, like I said, more withdrawn and and less social, and and they're just not exactly out there, you know, partying or. You know, getting the girls, or, or you know, running football, and then writing stories. You know, it's just you don't get to, most people who are on the on the school newspaper. They're not athletes, okay? They're all what they call nerds. So uh, to be on the school neighbor, uh, school newspaper, and then still kick butt in football, well, that that's a, a unique thing. Even in this day, you just don't get a lot of that. It made him uh, extraordinary, uh, special, and also quite singular in, in in his efforts that way. I'm sure a lot of that played into what he did because if you think about it without that kind of outlook without that kind of spirit i mean who the hell wants to leave uh, sunny california and go up to the frozen north nothing against canada love you canadian folks but you know i'll stay in california and florida before i'm going to go up there and tackle polar bears and you know have to fight fishermen and throw snowballs at crabs or whatever that's just that's just not for me it really isn't i mean God bless hockey, and I'm glad you guys make some good beer, but that's okay. I'll, I'll stay in the, in the warmer areas, okay? I'm from New Jersey. It was cold enough there. I don't really need any more cold. 
all right but that spirit you need if you're going to go up there where you know you you live in 80 degrees and now you're going up to a negative 30 so you just lost 110 degrees just from your trip so you have to be a bit social outgoing got to be a bit nutty got to be a bit adventurous definitely got to be a bit bold you know what i mean you, you got to have a you got to have a pair in those trousers if you're going to do stuff like that so you know he's a you know he's the old-fashioned one you know the, the man's man the writer's writer the drinker's drinker that that's who jack london was and uh, ironically uh, that wasn't just some persona that he put on that that's that's who this guy was i mean he was a little bit of all of that and it, it makes him uh you know Quite, quite interesting. I'm sure to uh, lots of people, uh, probably more of a, of a sexy character, you know, than than most writers. Probably because he had everything. He had the looks. He had the athletics. You know, I mean, he had the intellect. I mean, he pretty much had had all of that. So it's a hell of a of a combination for somebody that became one of the great writers that we're going to still talk about. You know, a hundred years later, and we were. I'm telling you, we'll we'll be. Uh, you know, sipping tea on Pluto, and and we'd be talking about Jack London and the Call of the Wild. I mean, really, that's that's just that timeless of a of a book. That that incredible classic. Um, I made sure my sons read it just because I, I like the whole. You know, and I'm not trying to sound sexist, but you know, men will tell you that there's certain books they they feel masculine, and you know, Call of the Wild it feels like a masculine book. Like, boom, yeah. You know what I mean? You got some books that are quite feminine, and they don't always have had to be written by women. But that's just a masculine book you want your sons to read about the, you know, the great outdoors and, you know, conquering nature and, and you know, surviving things and, you know, pretty much controlling your humanity and getting something done, you know, achieving a goal. All of that stuff, it, it, it's in there. And I don't say that all these things are masculine, but that book is masculine. And that makes it, to me, a, a, another extra appealing type of thing. Now, ironically, and it's really unusual because Jack London's mother was what they call a, a supernaturalist. She, you know, she really believed in the spirit world, where uh, Jack London wound up being a person his entire life that did not believe in God. He literally said, hey, when I go, I'm going to the ashes. That's the end of the story. I mean, that that's what he believed in. He never waved from that. I know his second husband, the one that gave him his name, Jack London, that they they adopted uh, that name. Uh, he was an astrologer, so you had two parents, you know, that believed in the, the powers of the unknown and the spiritual uh, realm out there. And here's a guy that had no belief in any of that. He was straight to the earth, and that was it. So it was kind of un- unusual. Jack London uh, eventually. Uh, joined the, the Socialist Labor Party in, in the United States. He even uh, operated a newspaper for a while, but he was uh, pretty much, he actually explained, he wrote an essay saying uh, how I became a socialist and explained it, and he explained it pretty well. I mean, ironically, his ideas about being a socialist wasn't too crazy then from the average person that really felt that uh, capitalism had had gone off its course. And, you know, there actually is some justification for, for the grievances that Jack London and many of the people had. I mean, the the socialist Eugene Debs, who, who ran for president in, in the 20s, I mean, they echoed some of the same things together. Because uh, there were there were capitalists, what they used to call robber barons, that, you know, that, that really did uh, buy uh, laws into place and, and politicians and corrupt a lot of things and, and until they started... You know, um, breaking down the monopolies and the antitrust and doing all that to make the society fairer, 
some of those some of those grievances and and, and some of those some of those beliefs they they held some validity that our uh, democracy was being harmed by this. We, eventually, we corrected this, but uh, I understand why they felt that that was the case and how that actually uh, hurt a lot of people, and and I'm sure it did it to a certain extent. But uh, now these days, I mean, to me, those, those ideas are definitely passe and they don't make much sense, especially since we now have over a hundred year record throughout the world of socialism utterly failing. Russia. Uh, Venezuela right now. You got people eating each other, you know, using using leaves from the forest to wipe their butt because they can't afford toilet paper. I mean, that's what socialism has given that country, a country that used to be one of the wealthiest in the world, one of the most successful in the world. Now, a, a complete basket case. We got countries in in Africa right now that that are more wealthier than Venezuela, and why? Because they're not practicing socialism. They're trying to bring themselves into the twenty first century. Hopefully they'll be able to reverse that over there one day and get back on the course they should be. But he was committed, and those were definitely some of the reasons why. Like I said, some of them definitely were valid. So I'm not going to sit here and beat the guy up about that. Okay. He wrote a lot about the um, the sea and, and boats because he 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 did some uh, some traveling on on boats. He did some longshoreman type work, so he knew a lot about that. So he has some stories uh, about that. He's not as well known for that, ironically, you know. And uh, I guess when you come to boat stories, I mean, or or just stories about water in general, you know, you got the you know Robinson Crusoe, you got Moby Dick, you got a lot of other ones that are, you know, um, you know, Mutiny on a Bounty. You got a lot of ones there that simply they overtake that. So even though, if you know much about uh, Jack London, you'll know about some of those stories. They're just simply not as well known. You know, one of them, The Cruise of the Snark, is a real popular one. You can read that on the internet uh, for free if you ever want to get a chance. And like we mentioned before, um, he got he got involved a lot in, in the Asian immigration um, issues during his days. And uh, what they used to call the yellow peril. You know, it's just really racist language. And, and he adopted a lot of that, unfortunately. And, and this is why people always felt that, and, you know, some of his legacy is sort of tainted on 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 bigotry. Others still disagree because he's not so out in the open on on many of these evils, and especially all the other stuff he wrote about. You know, seems to go in the other direction. So it's definitely a complex issue, but it's important that we we, we talk about all of that. Now, Jack London was also one of the few writers to really bring us a, a lot to understand about the Hawaiian culture. He wrote, he went over there, he wrote about it again. Wrote something racially sensitive about uh, Hawaiians and, and their culture. You know, and, uh, but uh, again, made jokes that, that seemed to suggest otherwise. Hard to know with this guy. If he was like that when he was drunk or if he was just part of his character. We might, we might never really know. I just try to do the, the benefit of the doubt of this, the saying, this is what's out there, and then we can all make a decision. Or maybe we don't have to make a decision. Maybe we could just say, hey, you know, he died quite some time ago. He's a great writer. I love his writing. Since his writing doesn't seem to have any racism on what I do like, I'm just going to go with that. Maybe he was that way, but I'm going to stick with these books and I'm happy with them. I, I mean, I, that's fine, you know. I mean, you think about Mark Twain. I mean, he's got the N-word in like a thousand pieces of his work, even though it's pretty obvious from his nonfiction writing and his public stances that he couldn't be any more anti-slavery and any more uh, of a person that was not racist. 
Uh, but uh, boy, he wrote some crazy stuff there too. I mean, I know he was trying to be authentic to the time, but you know, I don't know how many times you need to see the N word for us to kind of get the meaning. Okay, I think I think six hundred. You know, that might be enough. You know, just you know, call me silly, I guess. <laughs> now, Jack London, like many many writers, okay, he he really believed. Not only in the word, but he believed that his stories can actually help people bring about certain truths. And I think one of the things that Jacqueline always seemed to think about was is that he believed, because that's pretty much the way he lived, that hard work made a difference in a person's character and made a difference in a person's heart and soul. And it made a difference in, in, in being a component on them becoming successful. And that's why he felt that if he can correct society in certain ways, that hard work would help them become successful and it wouldn't be certain things in society that would still hold them back. That was part of what his socialist ideas were about. To me, it, it seemed honorable what his intentions were. He never seemed to be a crackpot or anything. And that's what's un, un, unusual about him. He wasn't as strident as most were. But he was definitely dedicated to it. And uh, he did as much as he could to include that in his writing. But I liked the fact that he felt that his writing could could really help educate and inform people about the things he was writing about and, and about some of those those philosophical ideals about um, being the, the, the classic uh, American coming from nothing and, and going to something and, and believing that hard work uh, makes a difference. Uh, it, it's what America was founded on. It's what, it's what makes uh, America uh, great. And quite frankly, it makes lots of places and, and people great when they, when they adopt these sort of things. So he was definitely in that in that classic vein, and I certainly admire him for for that. I'm hoping to get some great questions on the next mailbag about him because there is still a lot to say about what he wrote about, the kind of person he was, and you know just sort of the adventurous spirit, and that 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 man was. But until until next time, until February, keep keep your um your eye on the uh, the ads I'll be uh, sending out over here soon. Okay. Um, and I'll give you a, a good example over here for February to kind of give you a, a preview on, on some of the uh, shows that I'm going to be uh, uh, putting out, okay? All right, here we go. All right. Yeah, so I'm going to be doing a show about my book, A Question Acquired. That'd be the first time I'm doing a show just about it because it, it, it encompasses many of the writings over, over a, a great period of, of my life of writing. So it'd be nice to finally do a show about something I was writing about. So I'm going to be happy to do that. I don't get a chance to do that very often. I'm going to be doing a show about stereotypes in writing. How oftentimes, uh, either by design or accident, uh, those things can be in writing. And sometimes they don't help society. Sometimes they reinforce some of the bad things out there. And we'll give some examples. And of course, you know, you know try to make sure that we're, we're, what we're doing is, is not, you know, is not mimicking that. But we're trying to do something that's beneficial and positive and, and uplifting for society. I don't mean in a political correct way. I just mean in an honest way. And, and of course, in a fair way. And certainly in, in a moral uh, way. I'm going to be doing a show, uh, also a, a show called Demons, Real and Imagined and Artists. So that's going to be a lot of fun. But some of the things that press upon people, as you know, sometimes people have done weird things as writers because of things that they were, you know, dealing with, you know. And not always writers, sometimes artists in general. I mean, you know, you know Vincent Virgo went wacky, cut off his ear. I mean, there's all kinds of people doing strange things, you know. Pablo Picasso was a complete nutball. So we, we got a lot of examples of it. We're going to definitely go through them, and they're pretty interesting. 
And then I'm going to be doing a, a, another another series. I like to do these series now and then. It's going to be called Particular, Particular Instruments. Okay? And uh, it's going to be three of them. Uh, one is going to be about ghosts as characters. And we're going to talk about either stories or books where the main character was a ghost. Uh, then one called Houses as Characters. You know, when the character is actually a house. And then we're going to do one about animals as characters, where the animals are really uh, are doing all, all the work, or they're a big part of it. So that's going to be a lot of fun doing that. I have a lot of other shows coming up for March and April as well, but that's a little peek about what we're going to be doing in February, okay? All right, folks, until next time, God bless, and thank you very much for joining us here. I'm your host, Mark Anthony Rossi. Strength to be human. Thank you for listening. Follow the show and support our efforts by purchasing an ebook at Soma Publishing, www.somapublishing.com.